If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, because that's where we're at, Paul, I think, does this frequently. He's, he's, he thinks logically through different topics. And then he, he lays out kind of logically how to deal with these things, how to understand these things. And so in the first about 17 verses or so of Ephesians chapter 5, he lines out three different ways to walk. Okay, and we're going to see those as we go through this. We're going to tackle the first one this morning, and that is, as you can see by the title of the sermon, that's walk in love. Now, remember, Paul is explaining how believers should live out their new identity in Christ. He spent chapter 4 talking about this new identity. This is how you were made now, remade in Christ. Now, here's what you're supposed to do. And now in chapter 5, here's how this looks in your life now. And he didn't only tell them, hey, stop doing this bad stuff. He tells them, instead of doing this stuff that you were used to doing before, now because you have the mind of Christ, now replace those things with these things. And so just to quickly review, he said replace lying with telling the truth. He said replace selfish anger with godly anger. Replace stealing with honest work and giving. Replace corrupting talk with edifying talk and replace bitterness and anger with kindness and forgiveness. I hope you all understand and know this to be true in your own walk with Christ, but the Christian life is about so much more than a list of rules, stuff to not do. When we start to think that it's just a list of rules, we need to be careful Because not only have we lost the joy of our salvation, but we're in danger of walking as the Pharisees walked. And just a list of rules. It's about growing. It's about changing more and more to be like Jesus. It's about finding out who we are in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. It's the freedom to live like we were always meant to live in Christ. And so I I, I just want to say, especially you young people who have the pressures of the world, guys, I just want to tell you right up front, There's nothing boring about the Christian life. Christians do not have less fun than non-Christians in this life. And if you've seen any of Tim Hawkins' stand-up comedy act, you'll agree with that. If you haven't, you need to go find Tim Hawkins on YouTube and just enjoy some laughs this afternoon. Uh, I mentioned at the end of last week's sermon, I said that our text today that we're getting into in chapter 5 gives us the key to putting on the new self. And that is what Jason talked with the kids about, imitating God. That's what he says right off the bat here that we'll read in just a moment. He's talking about imitating God. And so Paul, as I mentioned before, is going to talk about three different ways to walk. One through two is walk in love. Three through eight is walk in the light. And then nine through 15 or 16 or so is walk in wisdom. And so we're going to look at these the next few weeks. Walk in love is today. And again, when we talk about walking, obviously we're not talking about physical steps, but we're talking about the conduct of our lives. Maybe put it this way. What are you known for? Are you known for your love? Or are you known for your anger? Are we known as Christians for being truth-filled and being light? Or are we known more for the cloud of darkness that we bring along with us? Are we known for our wisdom Or are we known for our foolishness? Let's evaluate ourselves in that light as we read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Read with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to ask a question, just looking right off verse 1, right off the bat. It says, imitate God. Think about it. How are you ever supposed to imitate God? This is almost an unfathomable request here. But let's talk about it. Imitate means to follow as a model, copy, or simulate. And from the Latin, it actually means to copy an image. To copy an image. So how are we ever going to imitate God? How could we ever hope to copy God? Well, first off, there are some things that we cannot ever hope to copy God in. None of us will ever be able to make something out of nothing. Right? When we create and design, we're taking one thing that's already there and making something new. God did not do that. There was nothing and God created everything. None of us can hope to be like God in that way. We will not imitate him in that way. None of us know everything as God knows it. None of us can live a sinless life as God the Son, Jesus Christ, lived. But there are absolutely some things that we can and I believe we must imitate God in. After all, Paul said back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, he says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So I believe there are things that we can and should imitate and copy God in. Let me put it this way. Christians imitate God like the moon imitates the sun. Now think about that for just a moment. From NASA's own website, they say, the moon can only be seen as a result of the sun's light reflecting off of it. It does not produce any light of its own. The moon gets its light from the sun. Christians, you are like the moon. You are a moon in that sense. You don't have any light of your own. Instead, you reflect the light of Christ. You reflect light from the sun, S-O-N. When light is seen in you, it's not you. It's the reflection of the light of Jesus coming from God in Christ. And so we imitate God like the moon imitates the sun. And as Christians, our desire is to be the clearest reflection of him as possible, isn't it? I hope that's your desire. We put on the new self when we put off the old sinful habits that do not reflect or imitate God. Christians reflect God's character more as we put on Christ more. Here's the truth, though. You can't imitate something that you know nothing about. You cannot copy something when you don't know what the original looks like. So you have to, every person has to come face to face with the truth about your sin. You have to repent of your sin. You have to believe that Christ's death fully paid your debt of sin and then live in constant submission to him. We know who God is by looking where? To his son. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this. Verse 3 says, He is the radiance, talking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. That's, ex- that's the word that we're talking about. Imitate, copy, imprint. But you can't imitate something that you know nothing about. And yet, Paul has already told us in Ephesians chapter 2 that that has described every one of us. Not one of us on our own can hope to imitate God because we don't know who God is. He says in verses 1 through 3, you can go back and glance at it, Every person without Christ is dead in their trespasses and sins. 
and is a slave to Satan, following the course of this world. That's, that's what we imitate without God. We imitate the devil on our own. We're so wrapped up in this bondage of sin that we can't hope to imitate anything else. People try and people fail. And in the end, if they've never put their faith in Christ, they will not see eternity in heaven with God. But see, we know chapter 2, verse 4, has those, some, I, I call them the two most important words or the two most beautiful words in all of Scripture, but God, right? But God did something for sinners that we could never do for ourselves. He did something incredible for every person who believes By the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, he has broken down the dividing wall between sinful people and a holy God. And this is to the praise of his glory, he repeats in this book of Ephesians. We should get a smile on our face. We should be giddy in our seats when we think about the incredible things that God has done for believers. And it's this. He has adopted sinners as sons and daughters. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us that the only way we can hope to be imitators of God is by being his beloved children. That's the only way to imitate the Father, is by being one of his adopted, beloved children. And we're only his beloved children because he adopts us. We're only adopted by the Father because he has predestined us in love for that. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1. Go ahead, flip back there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Do you see where this all originates? It's in the mind and the heart of God Himself. And even today, my friends, God is calling sinners to be part of His family. And that includes you when you believe. So I don't want you to sit there and think, man, I've done too much. God would not want to adopt me. I have screwed it up. I'm too broken. Don't think that. Because you're the people that Jesus came for. Sinners in need of a Savior. Those who know they are sick have a physician to heal them. It's those who don't believe they need to be saved, the ones who have no hope. Maybe you're still not convinced. Let me remind you of what Paul has already said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together in Christ. God has made us alive together with Christ. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off. Peace is being preached to you. Peace with God, brothers and sisters. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are included. That's what God says about you. You can be included in God's family as his beloved child, adopted, predestined in love before the foundations of the world, the moment you believe. And so God is still redeeming sinners and adopting sons and daughters today. And and that absolutely can include you. And I pray that it would. This was pointed out in a commentary that I read this week. I thought it was really interesting and insightful. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 
just kind of glance at that for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 belong together. They explain one another. I realize that the chapter and verse designations in our Bibles came way long after they were originally written. So I don't want to put too much authoritative stock in all of this, but I just think that it's interesting that Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 is actually the result of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. Christians imitate God because he has adopted them as his beloved children. Now you've seen small boys who want to be just like their dads. I've mentioned this a couple of times. There are some of you guys out here that your kids, your sons just look exactly like you. And they take on your characteristics. And they try to dress like their dads. And boys try to talk like their dads. Boys sometimes will even walk like their dads. And they want to do the things that, that he does. That doesn't just apply to boys and their dads. Nikki was telling me that when she was growing up, her dad loved eating his eggs over easy, you know, where the yolk's kind of runny still. And so she ate her eggs like that growing up. She wanted to be like her dad. We see that kids usually take on the characteristic characteristics of their fathers and their mothers, even when they're not ones that really should be imitated. Thankfully, though, we have a heavenly father who never sets a bad example or lets us down. And so as God's people, we should be known for reflecting the character traits of our heavenly father, shouldn't we? We reflect him in how we speak to others. We reflect him in how we exercise self-control. We reflect him in how we control our tongue, in how we show kindness, and in how we forgive. So what kind of character are you reflecting today? We have to ask ourselves that question. Are the character traits that I just described being reflected in your life today? Now look at verse 2. The first walk that we're talking about is walk in love. Paul says this. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So right off the bat here, he's saying, do this and here's your example. Right? So he's given us an instruction and then he's holding up an example for us to follow. Walk in love just like Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Let me point out something that may be obvious, but it wasn't to me at first. When talking about love, Paul points to the cross. Because he says, look at verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. When Paul talks about love, he points to the cross. He points to the love that Jesus displayed that cost him something really cost him everything. It cost him his life. That should tell us about the kind of love that Jesus has for us. We find in John chapter 15, Jesus teaches us a lot about this kind of love. The love that would give itself for another. He says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. To love like Jesus is to choose suffering for the sake of another. That's how Jesus loves us. That's how Jesus loves you. He chose suffering for your sake. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to suffer in similar ways at times. Be sure not to hear this and think about his love for you the way that you might think about a beautiful sunset. Admiring it from a distance, admiring its beauty from afar, but never being able to get any closer. Think about how the love of Jesus is talked about here. 
the way Paul puts it, how it's connected to the cross. Look back at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul is saying, and, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That was the point all along. We talked about this in our Christmas sermon this year, about the war of Christmas. We talked about how all of Jesus' life was a march to the cross, a battle to get to the cross. And that's why when Satan came and tempted him in the desert, that's why he tried to do everything he could to divert Jesus' eyes from going to the cross. Galatians 2.20 reminds us of a similar thing. Paul there to the Galatian church says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself up for me. Now look back at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. That is the same wording that Paul uses here to the Ephesians church. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If it wasn't obvious, I hope to make it obvious now, Jesus Christ is the purest and ultimate imitator of the Father. This brings us back to the question we started with. How on earth are we supposed to imitate God? Well, we do it in how we love. Loving like Christ involves giving ourselves away for the good of another. This is exactly the kind of language and phrasing that Paul is going to use in just the next few verses when he starts talking to husbands and how they're supposed to love their wives. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up at this point. Look at chapter 5, verse 25. As I said, this is Paul's instructions to husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See the same language that's used here? When I perform a wedding, I go to this verse. As those of you who have been married for any length of time know, it is a challenge to love someone as Christ loves the church. In fact, I would dare to say it's impossible without Christ being a part of your marriage. And even then, it's hard enough because the old self, the one that we continually are supposed to be putting off, we don't put off like we should. And so husbands, we end up not loving our wives like we should. Here we're called to sacrifice our own interests for that of our wives. And you can see this a little bit further on in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So we're supposed to love our wives even more than ourselves. And this is not an easy thing for us to do. This is our constant challenge to love our wives this way to occupy this place of authority that God has put us in in our homes, but to use it to serve, not to dominate. This is the pattern that every Christian is called to, though. I'll just sum it up like this. Sacrificial love. Giving away ourselves for the good of another. But this kind of love is not just feeling sorry for somebody. I want to make that clear, too. It's not just feeling pity for another person because they're not as powerful as you or they're not as smart as you or anything like that. This kind of love involves sacrifice, and this kind of love always involves action. Let us love not in word or talk, but in action and in truth, 1 John chapter 3. So Paul is in the middle of describing what the new self looks like, what love in action looks like. And so that's how I want to frame this this morning as we're kind of coming to a close here. This is what love in action looks like. Number one is speaking truth and not lies. Number two, getting rid of selfish anger. Number three, working hard and giving. Number four, controlling our tongue and speaking words that edify. Number five, forgiving one another 
and not remaining bitter. That's what love in action looks like, brothers and sisters. We're in January of a new year. And maybe you've said, man, I want to read my Bible more. I want to be more like Christ this year. Can I just encourage you and challenge you? Start here. Start right here. If you say you really want to imitate Christ, start here. If you say that you really want to walk in love, start with these five things. I'm not saying this is all that there is to walk in love or in the Christian life. But man, let's start somewhere, right? This is not an overwhelming kind of a task that God has given us. Let's, let's just put our feet into motion and let's start by speaking the truth and not being angry and working hard and controlling our tongues and not being bitter but forgiving one another. Let's start there. Even if that's all we did well in 2020, I think we'd be doing pretty good as a people and as a church. And notice what, what Paul says then in verse 2 about Christ's sacrifice. He says, it's a fragrant offering. It is a fragrant offering. Now, Nikki and I have been having this discussion. If you're listening to this, I am air quoting the discussion word because it's borderline argument. But she's got this, and it's a silly thing, I will admit it. But she just got this new hand lotion. And it smells and I can hardly take it. I feel like, I feel like my lungs are swelling up and I can hardly breathe. And she gives me a hard time. She calls me a baby about it. And I think I probably am being a baby about it. But she's got this lotion I just do not like the smell of. There's some things that I really do like the smell of, though. Hyacinths, that's my favorite flower, is smelled terrific. You know what I'm waiting for is someone to make either a hand lotion or a cologne that smells like sawdust. Because I'd wear it. I love the smell of sawdust. It is, it's magnificent. And then, plus, so a couple of years ago when we lived in Troy, I was finishing our, our lower level, our basement. And I was framing the walls, and I got to use one of those, I don't remember what it's called, but you use a 22 shell to pound on it and shoot an anchor into the, the floorboard. Um, say again? Yes, what he said, a Hilti gun. It was fun. And it, when, when I was done, I'd smelled something I never smelled before sawdust plus gunpowder and it was like i'm waiting for a candle that's do they make see i didn't know now i know now i have to go search on amazon for a sawdust candle today there are these things that that i don't like the smell of and there are things that i do like the smell of this is kind of the idea of what this is talking about the fragrant offering so this is old testament terminology for sacrifices that were placed on an altar that were considered pleasing to God. Back in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, this is right after Noah and his family had come off of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasant aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. This is Noah's acceptable offering. This is acceptable worship because it was given from a sincere heart and it was given the way that God told him to do. If you'll remember, before all the animals entered the ark, Noah was supposed to bring an extra amount of animals for things like this. 
So we understand, I think we understand anyway, what an acceptable offering is and an unacceptable offering. And if we're still unsure, let me just call our minds back to the character of Cain in the Old Testament. Back in Genesis chapter 4, I think this was Cain's problem. His sacrifice was, as, as it says there, was not regarded by the Lord. This, of course, infuriated Cain. And in his anger, he went out and killed his own brother because of it. Joseph Parker is a, a theologian from the 1800s. He said this about the story of Cain that I thought was pretty insightful. I wanted to share with you all. He says, if you want to find out Cain's condition of heart, you'll find it after the sacrifice, which he pretended to give. You know a man best out of church. Stay with me here. The minister sees the best side of a man. The lawyer sees the worst and the physician sees the real. If you want to know what a man's religious worship is worth, see him out of church. Cain killed his brother when church was over. And that's the exact measure of Cain's goodness. And so when you went home the other day, you charged five shillings for a three shilling article and told the buyer he was too cheap. And that's exactly the value of your psalm singing and sermon hearing. Cheap. You said you enjoyed the sermon exceedingly last Sunday. Then you filled out the income tax paper falsely. And you will be judged by your actions, not by your sentiments. We find out Cain's problem was a heart problem. We find out, if we didn't already know, our problem is a heart problem. And Joseph Parker says, you'll be measured by how you act outside of church. I think that holds a lot of weight. It's too easy to put our fake faces on and come to church. How do we act outside of church? That's the true measure of a man and a woman. Since the first son of Adam, we look for ways to do things half-heartedly. That's what Cain's offering was, a half-hearted worship that wasn't done the right way. Multiple times in the Old Testament, we see people give half-hearted and sloppy sacrifices. And what happened when they did? Judgment came. These men and women oftentimes paid with their lives because God's glory and God's holiness and the honor of God is not something to be taken lightly or mocked. And we do that when we come here and we act different than when we go home and act. We mock God. But here in Ephesians that we're studying, Christ's offering of himself was the ultimate pleasing sacrifice to God. The aroma was satisfying, it was fragrant, and it was good. But notice something here. Christ gave himself up for us, but it was an offering to God. You see that distinction that Paul makes? Say that again. Christ gave himself up for us, but it was an offering to God. A good example of this, I think, is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, where Paul says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the Philippian church generously gave to Paul, but Paul says it was actually an offering to God. He says it actually was a fragrant offering to God. The church gave to Paul, but God received it as right worship. I think that's interesting. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
as we walk in love, we sacrifice for others as a spiritual act of worship. We sacrifice for others as a spiritual act of worship. Tony Merida, another theologian I've been quoting quite often, he says, let there be a holy fragrance of love in your life as you care for others practically, sincerely, and generously for the glory of God. So how can we imitate God this year? Stay with me. How do we imitate God this year? Spend more time thinking on Christ's love for you. I don't mean this in a self-centered, selfish way, like, oh, he loves me and nobody else. I don't mean that. I mean to think very deeply on the kind of love that you deserve, but also the kind of love that Christ poured out on the cross for you. That's what I mean. Think about how much God loved you to send to Jesus to die in your place. See, he came to live a perfect life so that he could be the sacrificial lamb that was necessary to atone for sin. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, Paul says. Galatians 2.20. So because of Christ's love and because of his sacrifice, Christian, like Paul, you no longer live for yourselves. You don't live for yourself any longer if you belong to God. You live for Christ. So we sacrifice and we give and we walk in love in this way for others, but really it's it's an act of worship to God. As we understand Christ's love for us better and better, I'm convinced that we will love others better and better. So let me just review a couple of things as we close today. Number one, Paul is showing us the depth of Christ's love for us. Look at the extent to which he went. He gave himself up. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the demonstration of his love for you. Number two, the cost of his love was himself his very life. It wasn't just money. It wasn't just inconvenience or time. He gave everything. He gave it all. Number three, understand that this love and him giving of himself was in fact for you. He gave himself for you. This is the wording that Paul puts here. Number four, God the Father was pleased with Jesus' self-sacrifice. He was pleased with this kind of love. It says that it was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when God bowed down over the son on the cross, who in love poured out everything he had, it was a fragrant aroma to him. It pleased him. God loves the son's love of us. God loves how Jesus loves us. And as we understand the son's love of us better, we understand then how to go and love other people better. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you in this way as we close this morning. As you walk in love and give yourselves sacrificially to others, God receives that as a fragrant offering to him. That is your spiritual act of worship. So as we go from here, may our lives be marked by walking in love. May we walk in love.